Are you all ready for something? Tell the person next to you, it's going to be steak. Not a mistake. It's going to be a steak. All right. So tell the person next to you, I'm going to listen. Say, I've got ears. Ears to hear, heart and mind to know and understand. Amen. So the next 40 minutes is going to be intense. So I need you to concentrate. So everybody, just get your concentrators on. Every now and then, it's good for you to be challenged by the Word. Good. Always. So are you all ready? Yes. I want to share this Word with you. I haven't shared the Word exactly the way it is that I want to share it with you, but it absolutely rocked the pastors and leaders overseas. I was intending to do it on the Saturday morning of the conference, but we got tied up with that story of the Galloway Horde. So I want to touch on it. It's very good for us to hear the things that God is saying prophetically. It's very good. But it's also, and probably more so, good to put it into a biblical framework. And we've been talking much about uh, streams to rivers, revival, this kind of thing. I want to tell you that all of the pastors that left, many of them have been contacting me and saying, we wish that the conference was still on. It absolutely changed our lives. And they've all said, we've gone back, revived, refreshed, revitalized, re-envisioned, re-whatever, and very excited. I spoke to Isabeau from Port Alfred, and I phoned and I just said, hey, what a surprise to have you. Thank you for coming. And she said, the only way I can describe it is, she says, I'm ruined. She said, I just want to be there. You know, and um, Pastor Alma Jacobs phoned me. God touched her and completely healed her from a neurological breakdown. She's completely healed. But at the same time, God gave her a dream of things to come. And she said, I've got to come and sit and talk with you because I realized that we also have to make our focus revival. Amen. Now, it's no excuse for not evangelizing, witnessing, and all of that. We do all of that. But what we're praying for is that God would do something so far beyond our efforts. Because at the moment, we're doing things, and He's working with us. But revival, the switch over in revival is when God's doing it, and we're working with Him. Amen. And so I just want to give you the biblical context for that. Is that okay? So what I've done, I've entitled the message this, The End. Is that okay? And so that's the end. No. The end is glory. The end is glory. The end is not the Antichrist taking over. The end is not darkness, gloom, and doom. That is not the end. Jesus did not die on the cross to lose the world. Jesus did not die on the cross, pray the ultimate sacrifice for more people to be in hell than in heaven. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And there's theologies going around that we're just going to hold on to the bitter end. The Antichrist is going to take over, and uh, we're going to just escape by the skin of our chinny chin, the hair of our chinny chin chin, you know, out into heaven and that kind of thing. It's not going to happen that way. Biblically, Amen. that's not the way it's going to happen. So I'm looking at Romans chapter 10, verse 4. I need to draw something, and it's going to absolutely help you. It's going to blow your mind. Is that okay? I mean, you're going to see things you've never seen before. Amen? It's going to be so awesome, you're going to run up and give another offering. Yeah. Amen. So Christ is what? The end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So Christ is the end of the law. So I'm going to do a little bit of writing, then I'm going to jump into the Word, and we're going to fly, and then I'm going to draw you some nice pictures. Okay? It's going to be like comic book sermon. Got lots of pictures. Christ is the end of the law. So for what? So that there would be righteousness for everyone. How many of you know the law could not bring righteousness? Amen? And so it was inserted for a period of time and it was always God's intention to bring it to an end. There was a reason for it. All right. So that word end, Christ is the end of the law. The word end can be either the termination. So Christ was the termination point when he came. He signaled the termination of the law. But there's another meaning of that word, end. End also equals he was the purpose of the law. The purpose. Everybody say the purpose. Now, I'm just going to throw one or two verses at you. How many of you have read somewhere in the Bible that the law was the school teacher to lead us to Christ? How was the law a school teacher to lead us to Christ? 
Because the law was always saying, you see, you can't do it. This is what you must do, but you can't do it. This is what you must do. It was powerless to help us, but what it was doing was pointing out our inability to establish our own righteousness. And the law kept pointing to the fact that we needed someone to be a savior for us, to enable us to fulfill the righteous standard of God. Amen? So it became a school teacher leading every day. Say, come on, class. Come on, class. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Thou hast broken it, thou art guilty. Thou hast broken it, thou art guilty. If we broke one, we broke them all. And so the school teacher of the law was taking us by the hand and was pointing us to Christ. When Christ came, he was the end of the law. Amen? And so when he died on the cross, it signaled the beginning of the end. Now, because of God's grace and his amazing patience uh, with the Israelites, is that he gave them another 40 years to respond. That period from AD 30-odd to AD 70, when the Jerusalem temple and the city in Jerusalem was finally destroyed, is what John refers to in Revelation 1, is the patience of Christ. And Peter mentions in 2 Peter chapter 3. Is that okay? Everybody say the patience of Christ. So the end of the Lord. Now remember, I'm talking about the fact of revival and all of these kind of things. Will there be, is it a flash in the pan thing that comes and goes? It's not God's intention for it to come and go. God's intention is for us to be living New Testament Christianity. That's what revived means. Amen? And uh, walking in the power of the presence and the purpose of God. All good. And so what I want to just show you is to put that in. So I'm going to take scripture for scripture. Remember Isaiah 34 verse 16 where it says, Seek ye out of the book and read. Not one of these shall fail. Not one promise in the book shall fail. None shall want for a mate. For my mouth hath commanded and his spirit it hath gathered them. In other words, when you find a scripture, especially in the Old Testament, and then you find another one in the New Testament, it, they are mates. They belong together. Amen? Amen? Because the mouth of God spoke it, and the Spirit will gather it. And when you put Scripture to Scripture, the Spirit quickens it. Amen. Are you all with me? Yeah. Okay. So you need to be with me to this point, and then it's going to go on. So Christ is the end of the law. And I want to just say this. As I study, I see that Christ being the end of the Lord, He was not only the termination, but He was the purpose for the law. God does everything intentionally. God always works with a purpose. So that period of the law, God had intent with the law. God worked it intentionally, purposefully, deliberately. God put the law in. So this is the question I was reading one day. I was reading that Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. And then I was just thinking, well, if the purpose of the law was to introduce us to Christ, what is the end result and purpose of Christ? Amen? That's how teachers think. Is that okay? So if the law came, and it came with glory, and then Jesus was introduced, and Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 3 that that glory was always a fading glory. But then when we got saved, we beheld the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so here comes the law, and what it just introduces us to Jesus. What a termination point for the law to introduce Christ. So now we're in the time of the gospel. So what is the termination of Christ look like? What is the end result of Christ coming? What is the purpose? The end? What does that look like? And to me, it can't be worse than what the law introduced. It has to be far greater. So it's got to be something more powerful. All right, so the law was our schoolmaster. So the end of Christ, what is the end of Christ? So the end of Christ signified the end of an era or the end of a period or the end of something, all right? But let's just put era for now, okay? We're going to have a look at it in a moment. But Peter tells us, so we're going to go through these verses, 2 Peter chapter 3, and you can read it for homework 1 to 13. I'm just going to select some verses out. Everybody good? Okay, now you're going to see. It's going to unfold, and you're going to go, oh, my goodness. Okay, Second Peter chapter 3. Peter talks about the fact, and he introduces something, and this is what I want to share with you now. Second Peter chapter 3, and verse 6. He says, whereby the world that then existed, maybe you could even put it in the King James Version if it's easy enough, by which the world that then was 
or then existed, perished. So here's Peter, and he starts to introduce worlds. Everybody say with the word worlds. Worlds. So he starts to introduce worlds. So he says, whereby the world that then was. Now remember, Peter's standing in a particular moment in time, and he's pointing back to another world. So he says, the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. So from the time of Adam to the time of Noah was a world. He says, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now. Now remember, Peter is standing at a particular point in time, somewhere over here. Peter, and he's speaking. He's writing this just prior to AD 70. And he says, but the heavens and the earth which are now. Now, heavens and earth is another way of saying world. Because a world consists of an earth and a heaven. So Peter is saying, but the heavens and the earth which are now, by the same word of God, are kept in store, reserved for fire. The first one, flood. The second one, fire. Against the day of judgment and perdition of godly men. So as far as Peter is concerned, that there was a second world. And this second world, world number two, was around the time that Peter was speaking. But I'm just going to just take Peter out there for now. Okay? And then he says this, the world that is now. Then we drop down to verse 12 to 13. He says, but now, Peter's saying, we are looking for, verse 12 and 13, we are looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, remember that we spoke about the heavens and earth, being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for the what? New heaven and new earth. And so what Peter was saying, standing around that time, Peter was saying, this heaven, this earth is going to be dissolved with fire. Okay? This one was by flood or by water. He says, but we're looking forward to and hastening the world that is to come, the new heaven and the new earth. Remember I said? It's another way of saying world. So in other words, this is going to be world number three. Wow. Hey, now from this point, it's going to get very exciting. Okay. So the first world was from Adam to Noah, and it was destroyed by flood. Second world was up to the time of Jesus, and then slightly beyond to AD 70, was the period of the second world. Why to AD 70? Because you could not have two systems of salvation operating at the same time. It was either law or grace. Okay? And so God had to terminate that system because they didn't shut it down themselves. We'll look at some scriptures now. So God had to terminate it because Paul tells us in the book of Hebrews, as long as the one was standing, the old was standing, you could not enter the new. Amen? So you can't have two systems. So this first system of the law was temporary to introduce the new system, the new heaven, the new earth. Is that okay? So just very quickly now, just very quickly for the, all the scholars, the word elements, when he said the elements, okay, the elements over here will also mount with fervent heat. You can go and do a study on it. You can go and look it up. You can have a look. You can come and ask me for the notes. I'll uh, um, sell it to you. <laughs> I'm teasing. But the elements here are the elemental things, the rudimentary things. So Peter was prophesying that the elemental things of the law, you can go look at Ephesians, you can look at Colossians, and, and maybe even Galatians, where he talks about the elemental things of the law will be burned up. In other words, it doesn't mean the molecules and the atoms will burn up. The world's not going to end with an atomic bomb. Okay? So the elements, the elements that will burn up will be the elemental, the rudimentary principles of this world, the fundamentals. Read Hebrews 5 and 6, end of 5 and 6. And so he's saying, we're looking forward to the new heaven and the new earth. Listen to this. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth. What? Wherein dwelleth what? Righteousness. So Christ is the end of the law so that there might be righteousness for everyone. 
So we're looking forward for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth. In other words, what Peter was saying, according to the promise of God, this third world period will be inhabited and dwelt in by the righteous. Woo! I can feel a really good message coming on. I like what one translation says. He says, more or less, that according to his promise, we're looking for a new heaven and a new earth. He says this, the home of the righteous. The home. Come on, say the home. Come on, home. The home of the righteous. So this world, the third world, is the home of the righteous. And now how many of you know we need to look after it? We need to occupy it. We need to defend it. We need to fight for it. Is that okay? So this world is the the dwelling place of the righteous, the home of the righteous. Amen. Are we going to let anybody take it over? No. Do you think God is? No. Because Christ is the end of the law. Okay? So the three Greek words that I want to talk about, cosmos means world. So we're going to just look at world just, you know, as meaning the globe and the planet. Is that all right? The world basically encompasses all of this. Okay. The world encompasses all of that. So the first Greek word for world in the Bible is this. It's cosmos. And this is where a lot of Bible teachers get it so wrong. Because they, every word for world, they take meaning the globe, the planet. So let me just give you a few places in the Bible where the word world is used correctly from cosmos. So again, in Matthew 4 verse 8. Again, the devil take them to an exceeding high mountain and show them all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. That word world there is cosmos. So he literally showed him the whole world with all the people in it. And so when John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, cosmos, he loved the whole world. Jesus said, Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world, cosmos. But now there's another word for world. It's really interesting. There's another word. It's oikomeni. So oikomeni. It's O-I-K-O-U-M-E. Oikomeni. Many years ago, when Amy was a little girl, and this is where, you know, God started to penetrate my stupidity and my lack of understanding. And we would go up to Zim's for holidays. And then on the way back, often it happened, Amy would be sleeping on the back seat. And uh, you know what it's like. How long is it? When are we getting there? Shut up. (laughs) You know? And then I used to give them the standard answer that my mom always used to give. How far is it? As long as a piece of string. You know. And I remember she looked up, and we were just coming off the R21, and we were taking the Atlas off-ramp. And she looked up, and she said, Oh, we're back in our world now. And something was like, Oh, my goodness. You know, we talk about something. My whole world fell apart. My world is shattered. It's not the whole cosmos. Because you went through something, the cosmos did not fall apart. Is that okay? But your world, your world fell apart. Are you all following me? Okay. So the word world over here, oikomeni. So let me just give you a verse or two. But for example, Luke chapter 2 verse 1. It says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be taxed. Now, that wasn't cosmos, but it was oikomeni. In other words, it was the then civilized world. It was the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire with Israel in because they were under the Romans. So it was, that was their world. So when Caesar Augustus sent out the decree that all the world should come and take the census and, and be taxed, it wasn't the entire planet It was the Roman Empire world. And of course, because Israel was part of it, Joseph and Mary had to go. Okay? Already by now, you can see how people get things so wrong. And then there's another word for world. Another word for world is aeon. Aeon is an age or a period. Another way of saying aeon, A-I-O-N, is generation. So let me give you an example. It says in Matthew 24, verse 3, And Jesus sat upon the Mount of Olives... The disciples came up to him privately saying, tell us when all these things shall be, 
Remember, he said, not one stone on top of another. Remember that? Yes. Can you remember that? Yes. And the disciples were saying, tell us when these things shall be, and what shall be the sign of the coming and of the end of the That word world there is aeon. Okay, breathe deep, salah. Say, Jesus, forgive him. So when will the end of the world be? They were not talking about when is the end of the cosmos. Go, get your Strong's Concordance. Go and check me out. Did it sink in? So they were saying, Jesus... When is it going to be the end of this age? I'm going to just break a little bit from there. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, before I take a break from there. Paul says to his audience in Corinth, he's talking about the Israelites who fell in the wilderness because of disobedience. And he says, now all things happened unto them for examples so that's 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. That's why I'm writing the book, okay? All these things. He was reminding them of what happened in this world. All the way from the Exodus, all the way to the occupation of the promised land. All that they did, all of these things were examples for us upon whom... The end of the world has come. Not cosmos. You could almost say oikomeni if you studied, but he was saying the aeon. Shawaskas. I told you it was a bit of steak this morning. So now I'm going to give you some verses because you read them and go, oh, what is he saying? Now you're going to go, woo-woo, I know what this means. So look at Hebrews 9.26. For then... Now, this is the Apostle Paul talking about the fact of if the blood of Jesus was not able to cleanse and forgive sins like the blood of bulls and goats and sheep, he was saying Jesus would have had to then be continually suffering, paying the price for our sins. Literally, he says, from the foundation of the world. That word is cosmos. In other words, from the foundation of the world. How many of you remember reading in Genesis the fact that God killed a lamb because he covered them with sheepskin, Adam and Eve? So already then, he was prefiguring, prophesying, indicating that the time would come when the lamb of God would die for us. Okay? So he said, if his blood was not able to cleanse us once for all, it would mean then from the beginning of the cosmos, you would have had to die and suffer many times. But what happened there was prophetic of, and it prefigured something that happened here. Because now, it goes on, he suffered since the foundation of the world, cosmos, but now once in the end of the world. What is he talking about? How many of you know Jesus didn't die in the end of the world? You know, like there's a lot of preachers that preach that, you know, you know, Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And they go, in time and eternity, before time began, Jesus was already crucified. No, that's not true. He was crucified on a particular date and a particular time, three o'clock in the afternoon. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. And so he was not in the mind of God. In the intentionality, in the plan and purpose of God. Yes, in his mind already Christ was to be sent and sacrificed. But he died in a point in time. Amen? But, and we'll touch on that verse now. But the lamb slain, he would have had to be slain many times. But look at what he says. But now once in the end of the world, he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. End of what world? That's when he died. He appeared at the end of this world, by the sacrifice of himself to put away sin, amen, so that he could establish a new heaven and a new earth, and that will be the home of the righteous. Woo! I mean, isn't that awesome? Hallelujah. Okay, so let's just carry on. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2. 
I mean, sometimes we read these things and we don't have a cooking clue what we're reading. Listen, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, talking about in the past, in many and various ways, God spoke to us through, uh, you know, the forefathers. But in these last days, last days? Last, I mean, you hear a lot of people talking about, we're in the last days. When was the last days, according to the Bible? Then, this period, yeah, yeah. Hath in these last days, what does it say? He's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, by whom he also made the worlds. Okay, I now I thought you would shout. Okay. By whom he now made the worlds, plural. He established every age. So he's spoken to us in these last days. When was the last days? There, that's when the son came, the final prophet. Okay, the greatest prophet. And he spoke to us. Okay, so now Revelation 13, 8 and 17, 8 says the same thing. And he's talking about the Lamb's book of life. And he says the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So listen, church. Was Jesus crucified there? Or was he crucified there? So he's the lamb slain from the, found, the foundation of the... Was not crucified there. He was not crucified there. He was crucified there. You can go and check it all out. You can go and check it. All right, let me just take a bit of a sidetrack. So Acts chapter 3, verse 21. This is what the apostle Peter was speaking to those that were assembled. He said, whom heaven must receive, talking about Jesus, until the times of restitution of all things, which God had spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. Now, how many of you know the prophets were not prophesying here? Maybe Enoch prophesied there. But the prophets were prophesying from here forward. Whom the heaven must receive. So heaven must retain Jesus until the times of restitution of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world, since the world began. So that was the beginning of the second world. Prophets were prophesying right the way through the Old Testament. John says... The spirit of prophecy, Revelation 19 verse 10, is the testimony of Jesus Christ. So all the prophets were prophesying and they were testifying to Jesus Christ. Amen. And the restoration of all things happened in this period over here until AD 70. Yo. Yo. Go deeper, man of God. Go deeper. Okay, thank you. All right. So John says... This, and he's quoting from Isaiah 65, verse 17. This is what the prophet Isaiah is talking about when he says, Behold, I do a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Now it's springing up. Forget the old, you know, the former things. And in Isaiah 65, verse 17, he says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. Now, Isaiah was prophesying somewhere around over there, and he was saying, Forget these former things, because I am going to make a new heaven and a new earth. Is that okay? So forget the former things. And then John says the same thing in Revelation 21 verse 1. And I saw, now remember he's caught up in the spirit. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Okay, church, I'm going to say something that might really upset you. Please don't be offended because I really, really love you. Really, really, really love you. He was not talking about heaven when you die. He wasn't talking about something there. Right the way through scriptures. Scripture with Scripture. I am going to make a new heaven and a new earth. John was seeing something in the Spirit because the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. All right. So, so let's just talk about this. The Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. I'm going to just fly through this section very quickly. Okay. So the foundation of the world, we find it in Psalm 18 verses 19 to 24. You can read the whole psalm. It's a prophetic psalm of Jesus. Open to me the gates of righteousness. So I'm reading Psalm 118 from verse 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. Did he not say I'm the door? 
I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. <laughs> what a psalm. Woo. I mean, I've got goosebumps everywhere. I mean, the word is amazing, isn't it? And then he says, the righteous shall enter through it. Jesus is the door. Revelation 4. I saw in heaven a door open. <laughs> okay. I shall give thanks to you, for you answered me, and you have become my salvation. Now look at what he says. Psalm 118, verses 19 to 24. I want people to see it. So listen here. He says, the stone. You've heard this verse before. The stone that the builders rejected or refused is become the headstone of the corner. Whew. Can you feel it? I mean, when truth is taught, can you feel it? This is amazing. It bears witness to your spirit. Come on. So he says this. Oh, man. He says, the stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Amen. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. And you know, Sunday after Sunday, preachers stand up and go, this is the day that the Lord has made. We even sing, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. We think the day of the Lord is Sunday because it's church day. No, 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 no. What was the day of the Lord? You can read it, John 16, and many other places. The day of the Lord was when he laid the foundation stone. When he opened the way, the door, so the righteous could enter into it. To establish this third heaven and earth, the home of the righteous. This is the day that the Lord has made. Come on, let's rejoice. Forget the former things. Behold, I do a new thing. Woo! So Isaiah 28 verse 16 says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation stone. Everyone say foundation. I'm going to share some verses. Now they're going to blow you away even more. You'll all want to buy me lunch after this. Okay. I lay in Zion for a foundation stone. Everyone say foundation. 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 Come on, I want you to log that. A tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation he that believeth shall not make haste. Okay, so here comes Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, 6, he says, we're all coming to him. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 to 6. We're all coming to him like living stones. As to a living stone, to Jesus. Rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Yeah. So here he's basically talking about, I'm anticipating the end of the law so that there might be righteousness for everyone. Amen? So what I'm going to do in Zion, because remember this period, yeah, we're talking about Zion and Israel. Is that okay? He says, I want to tell you, in Zion, I am going to lay a foundation stone, yes. tried precious stone, yes. which will be the chief cornerstone of the building yes. as well. In other words, he'll be the beginning and the end. Yes. He'll be the start and he'll be the finish. Okay? Yeah, there's just too much, man. So here comes the Apostle Paul. Anyway, so let's first go to Matthew. On, virtually on the night he was about to be betrayed, this is what Jesus says to them, because they're coming to get him. And in Matthew 21, verses 42 to 44, Jesus says to them, Did you, did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Okay, I think some of you are struggling. Three deep breaths. <sighs> oxygenate, oxygenate, okay. Okay, so the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in ours. Now, I'm going to say something, and I'm going to back it up with Scripture, okay? All right? So who were the builders? The builders were supposed to be the scribes and Pharisees and the teacher of the law. They were the ones that were supposed to read and get the revelation of the Messiah and then say, oh my goodness, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is here, and we need to build him into Zion 
It's no longer the law of Moses, but it's grace and truth that came through Jesus Christ. Are you understanding me? Okay. So, Pastor John, have you got a proof text for that? Yes, I'm glad you asked. Acts chapter 4, verses 9 to 13, but I'm only going to read one sentence out of it. And that was on the occasion when Peter was standing and he was speaking, and he was speaking to the Jewish leaders. And listen to what he says in between 9 and 13, somewhere in there. He says, the stone you builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. You builders. God's intention was for the old and new to come together and to establish 12 from the old, 12 from the new, and establish his church. But you builders rejected the stone. So listen here. So the apostle Paul now, he comes, God raises him up, one untimely born, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 11. Paul says this, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid through my teaching a foundation. He says, and another is building on it. All the way right down to Pastor John. is building on this foundation. Are you all following me? He said, I'm a wise master builder. He says, and another buildeth upon it. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Okay, listen to this. For other foundation... Can no man lay that is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. I mean, the word's washing over you. I can feel it. So Paul says, I laid this foundation. No other foundation can be laid. What is the foundation of this world? Christ crucified from the foundation of the world. What is the foundation? Jesus Christ. And he says in Ephesians 2, you are being, you are being, but we are being built up on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We're not built on them, but we're built on their teaching. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by the Spirit. Okay. So I want to just go back. We can see the three worlds. So I want to remind ourselves again. The end of this world was a flood. The end of this world was the cross and ultimately the destruction of Jerusalem or the temple. So what does the end of this world look like? So let's just write that word in there for now. What does that end of that world look like? From Numbers 14, 21, God's intent was declared. He says, as surely as I live, the whole earth, not worlds, the whole earth, which is cosmos, shall be filled with my glory. So that's his intent. It's repeated in Isaiah 41 to 4, Isaiah 40 verse 5, Psalm 72 verse 19, Isaiah 11 verse 9, and Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Amen? And it runs concurrently with the kingdom. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Is that okay? I mean, it's, it's, I know it's a lot, but it was prophesied. It was instituted in the New Testament. So very much the incredible thing is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, the apostle Paul starts to talk about this word glory. And he says there was a glory here around about the time of Moses. There was a glory around the time of Moses, but it was a fading glory. And one of the reasons why, two reasons why he put the veil over his face, because in the beginning it was too bright, Number one. But the other thing is, you've got to read in the King James. It says, Moses did not want them to see the end of that which was fading. I don't want you to see that this glory has got a termination point. I don't want you to see the end of the fading glory. Oh, my goodness. Second Corinthians. But why did Moses say, Lord, show me your glory? And he said, you can't see it. I'll hide you. You cannot see my face. Ooh. But then look at this. Paul writes, we are not like Moses who put a veil of his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. And then there's all those scriptures, Isaiah 60 verse 1, John 7, 37 to 39, 1 Peter 1, 19 to 21, where Peter starts talking about it. He says, these men of God over here searched with intent, searched carefully with the help of the Holy Spirit, trying to show them the time, the time, you know, the grace of God, that the grace of God would come. And he said, First, there would be suffering, and then there would be glory. Okay? It's too much, isn't it? Okay? 
And so this is what he says, 1 Peter 1, 19 to 12. And then in John 17, Jesus is praying his high priestly prayer. He's just about to go to the cross. And his father, I've given them two things. Number one, I've given them your name, Father. So they will be sons. But Father, I've given them another thing. I've given them your glory. Isn't that awesome? He also said, I've given them your But I've given them your glory. Because, you know, my glory will not, not share with another. Another than the ones who I'm going to share it with. Okay? So I've given them the glory. So we are made the righteousness of God in Christ. So I love this. I love this. Even to this day, 2 Corinthians 3, 15 to 18, and I'm coming down to a close. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, we all, we all, we all, we all with unveiled faces contemplate, gaze, look at, absorb the Lord's glory. And we are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This glory was fading till it would pass away. Bang. This glory, ever increasing. So what is the end? Demons, destruction, darkness, gloom, Armageddon. What is it? Glory. Okay. So for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Isn't that incredible? Moses says, God, show me your glory. And he says, you're going to have to just come and see the back. Because you can't see my face and live. Yeah. I'll stick you in a cleft of rock, and I'll pass by, and I'll just declare all my goodness. Yeah. Was that okay? Now it comes us. And he says, with unveiled faces, you can look at my face. And you're being transformed from glory to glory. With ever-increasing glory. Come on. So what is the end? It's ever-increasing glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. All right, so now, this world ended by flood. This world ended by fire. When will this world end? Oh, I'm so glad you asked me that question. Let's see if by three minutes I can finish this. I'm just going to read now scriptures. Is that okay? Are you all ready? Can I just read scripture? Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 4. Generations come and generations go. But what? This is also in your Bibles? No. What does it say? Read it to me. Oh. Oh, the earth. The earth abideth for? Woo! Pastor John, it's only one verse. I know. Isaiah 66, verse 22. Now remember, Isaiah was prophesying it. The new heaven and the new earth is when? Is it there? Is it there? Is it there? For as the new heaven and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain, remain, remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. Now I'm going to give you another verse. This is the clincher. Because Pastor John, you know that's Old Testament. I just want you to know it's still the Bible, eh? Okay. All right, New Testament. Ephesians 3.20. All of you can quote it. All of you, Ephesians 3.20, you can all quote it. One to him that is able to do. I know we're mixing translations here. Exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask, think, according to the power that does work within us. Is there another verse after this? Must be because there's a comma. <laughs> verse 21. Woo. Read it with me. Yeah. 
What will be? There will be glory in the church throughout all aeons. Oil ecumenians. Amen. World cosmos without end. What will be in the church? What will be in the home of the righteous? Glory. The end of the world is glory. Is God a liar? Is God able to bring it about? Come on. So I'm putting revivals and things in biblical context. So we can pray for, believe for, pursue, persist, and continue, long for, crave for, pray for, and desire revival to come. And that's God just restoring, refreshing, restoring, refreshing, bringing about waves of glory so that this whole world can be saved. Because he promised to the prophets, the whole earth shall be filled with my glory. Amen. At the moment, we're seeing a lot of people, a lot of people who have sinned and fallen short of the glory. But then the prophets say the whole earth shall be filled with the knowledge of His glory. But then they change it and say it's no longer just the knowledge of His glory. The whole earth shall be filled with His glory. Christ in you, the hope of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of all right. Two verses. Two verses. Two verses that a lot of people misunderstand. Revelation 10:6. John looks at, he's looking prophetically basically at all of this. He's looking all of this. Everything was exact timing. Feasts, festivals, sacrifices, new moon celebrations, Sabbaths. Everything from here onwards. All were prophetic of, predictive of, prophesying, types, shadows, indicating the coming of Jesus. Is that okay? And everything was split-second time perfect. Everything. God had a program. God had an agenda. And so in the fullness of time, exact time. God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Yes. Split second timing perfect. Yeah. Amen. And then there was a time that had to lapse until the destruction of AD 70. It was all split second perfect timing. Yeah. And then John says, you know, the angels swear by Him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are therein, and the earth and the things that are therein, and the sea and the things which are therein that there should be time. So a lot of preachers will say, oh, that's talking about one day when we die, when we're in heaven, there's no more time. God was saying, this tight schedule agenda is all fulfilled. And now, time is no more. You can't tell me you didn't get something this morning. Amen. The part of John, when can we have revival? Okay, let me answer it with one verse. John chapter 7, verse 6. You all ready? John chapter 7, verse 6. I love it. This was the way they were going up to the feast, and the brothers of Jesus are saying, come on, you want to be famous? You want to be famous? Why don't you go up, go show yourself, go do some miracles? And Jesus spoke back and answered really sincerely. I used to read it and think that he was being sarcastic back with him. But Jesus understood, I am on a program that is split-second perfect. That's why they couldn't kill him, couldn't push him over a hill, couldn't do anything to him, because my time is not yet. Amen? So not sarcastically, but really, he says to the disciples, my time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. You can... Have revival, you can have a move of God, you can see God move anytime you desire. See, we like to, with teachings of the Bible, we like to shift the responsibility to God. Oh, revival will come, you know, revivals are, you know, it's the will of God and, you know, it's the sovereignty of God. We can't, what, what? He's going, I've done it all. I've put you in the home of righteousness, I've given you my glory. So when do you want it? Your time is any time. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. 
Ghanaian territory. They can go to America. They can have it. They can have it. They can step into the things of God. Amen. Amen. I'm on a timetable. I'm on a timetable. I've got to die. I've got to be raised. I've got to appear for 40 days, then another 10 days. Then the Spirit will come. Then I have to go. And then I'll bring about the restitution of all things. Hey, but whoa, whoa. After that, time is no more. And so your time is any time. So Tiens can go all the way to Zambia. And he can just experience the move of God. Why? Because it's all done. It's all up to us now. Amen? Come on. We need to stir the pool of Bethesda. We need to fan into flame the gift of God. We've got to keep our passion going. We've got to stay full. Amen? Hallelujah. Amen. Father, I just want to thank you for your incredible word. Amazing, amazing. I just love your word so much. Sure. Father, I just pray for the anointing of your Holy Spirit right now. The ability of your Holy Spirit just to permeate our hearts and minds. I know we've been confronted by some things. And maybe it's been an assault on a doctrine or a, a view that we've held. But God, we want to be people of your words. And so, Father, I just thank you that by your Spirit, you would just keep opening our eyes, opening our hearts, opening our minds, opening our understanding. Help us to see. Help us to see. God, we're not going to go out in destruction, doom, and gloom. Father, we're going to increase and, and in a blaze of glory. I thank you for it, Father. I want to thank you that you will appear in the midst of the worshiping congregation. Woo! You find fish in water. Birds flying in the air. But Jesus, you will appear in glory. When glory has filled the earth because of the manifested sons, you shall appear with us in that glory. So Lord, we thank you for your incredible word. Thank you for the groanings and the travailings that you've placed within us. Thank you for the intercession of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that creation itself is in travail with eager expectation, longing for the sons of God to be manifest. God, we expect you're going to do greater things. And we will step out. We'll see greater healings, greater miracles, greater signs, greater wonders, because the glory is here to stay. The whole earth shall be filled with your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Woo. Hallelujah. of the Lord Jesus Christ be upon you. God is not against you. He's for you. Those of me foreknew, He called. Those who He called, He justified. Chose us to be conformed to the image and the likeness of His Son. Lord, those who He justified, He also glorified as far as you're concerned we are already the finished product by virtue of what Jesus did on the cross help us Lord and I just speak glory over all of your people I bless them with the transition and transformation from glory to glory with ever increasing glory in Jesus name Amen Amen